You are now listening to the October 3rd broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Transforming Grace. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston from Story of Kings. The last time we learned about King Nadab, second king of northern Israel, God had chosen Jeroboam to be the first king of northern Israel, and Nadab was his son. King Nadab reigned over northern Israel for only two years. Jeroboam and Nadab did evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped idols, and angered God. Toward the end of our story last time, we saw how Baasha rose up against King Nadab and exterminated the entire household of Jeroboam and Nadab. This was God's judgment towards Jeroboam and his house in fulfillment of God's word of prophecy through the prophet Ahijah. After Nadab was eliminated, Baasha became third king of northern Israel and his son Ella as the fourth king. Ironically, history repeated itself. Today, in our story, we will see how Baasha and Ella followed the same fate that befell Jeroboam and Nadab. Baasha became the king of northern Israel during King Asa's third year in southern Judah. Those two kings did not get along. The Bible records that Baasha battled with Asa over his lifetime. Further, Baasha was intent on expanding the land and making it rich and powerful. While the Bible records specifically one battle between Baasha and Asa, it also tells us how Israel was in a constant state of war with other countries. During the period when Baasha ruled over northern Israel for 24 years, Baasha prepared for war and then went into war. The Bible records that the life of Baasha was evil in the sight of the Lord. From 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 34, He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he made Israel sin. Baasha's sin was rejecting God and following his own ambition. Since he rejected God, he needed to replace God with something else. He did that by making and worshiping idols. In the meantime, King Asa of southern Judah removed idols and made all the people, including himself, return to God. This was completely different from the path Baasha had taken. What was happening in southern Judah was in stark contrast to what was happening in northern Israel. The Bible tells us how Baasha left the Lord and worshipped idols. Therefore, the word of the Lord came upon Jehu, the son of Hanani, and he rebuked Baasha. This is from 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 2-4. through 4. Inasmuch as I exalted you from the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and have made my people Israel sin. 
provoking me to anger with her sins. Behold, I will consume Baasha in his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabot. Anyone of Baasha who dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and anyone of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. Baasha did evil in the sight of the Lord. He made and worshipped idols and angered the Lord. As a consequence, God said he would exterminate the house of Baasha, as he did the house of Jeroboam. After Baasha, his son Elah became the king of northern Israel. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what King Elah did. However, it is recorded that he sinned before God as his father did and made Israel sin and angered the Lord. Not too long after he became king, his life was cut short in a tragic end. This is how it happened. One day, King Elah got drunk in the house of Arza, who was an official in the palace. There was an army commander called Zimri. While King Elah was drunk, Zimri snuck in and murdered Elah. Ironically, at that time, the army of the northern kingdom was preparing for battle at Jibbethon, and King Elah was getting drunk in his official's house. We could see how he had rejected God and lived in sin. King Ella's reign lasted only two years until God's word of rebuke through the prophet Jehu was carried out. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 11-13, through 13, we are told of what Zimri did to the household of Baasha and Ella. It reads, It came about when he became king, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha. He did not leave a single male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha through Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Ella his son, which they sinned and which they made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger, with their idols. Baasha and his son Ella sinned before God and made Israel sin and therefore received the Lord's judgment. After 26 years since his ascension to the kingship of Israel, the house of Baasha was wiped away, just as the house of Jeroboam met its tragic end. The house of Baasha received the judgment of God. The tragedy was in not turning to God after having witnessed what happened to the house of Jeroboam. Baasha and his household repeated the sinful deeds of Jeroboam and his household and continued to reject God and did evil before him. Some of our listeners may begin to see a pattern. The kingdom of northern Israel suffered from bad kings in succession while the kingdom of southern Judah enjoyed a few good kings. In the coming weeks, as we consider more kings, we shall see whether this pattern holds. This concludes today's episode. I'll see you next time from Story of Kings. Goodbye.
Next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is Jesus and Anxiety. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. Seek God in prayer about everything. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. Which he won't because he doesn't have to. And for those who are his children, you don't have to either. This is exactly what Jesus tells us when he's talking about worry in Matthew chapter six, right? Matthew chapter six, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. This is straight from Jesus saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Like, how am I gonna do this? How's this gonna work? What's the future hold? Don't ask these things. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. 
What do you do? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Oh, like this is worth a, a short side note here because that last part in this section of Matthew chapter six is a game changer in the battle against anxiety. Like God guarantees, don't miss what Jesus is saying here. God guarantees mercy today for challenges today. And God guarantees mercy tomorrow for challenges tomorrow. But God doesn't give mercy today for challenges tomorrow. No, today's mercies are designed for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be sufficient for tomorrow's burdens. And anxiety, worry so often comes when we are focused on tomorrow. Like we worry thinking, how am I gonna make it through the fall with my kids doing virtual school? How am I gonna make things work financially in October or November or December or next year? What's gonna happen with schools? What's gonna happen with the economy? When is a vaccine coming? How is all this gonna affect my life or my family in this way or that way in the future? And it's not unwise to think about the future. There's certainly wisdom in planning for the future as best as we can. But when you think about the future, particularly when there are so many unknowns in it, stop and realize, one, that God holds the future in his hands, and two, God promises to give you new mercy in August, new mercy in September, new mercy in October, November, December, next year. God promises that his mercy will always prove sufficient for you in every new day. Which means, so follow this, this means that you don't have the mercy today that you need for August, September, October, November, next year. You know why? And God is giving mercy today and God promises you will have mercy for August, for September and so on as each day comes and whatever each new day brings. And believing this is critical maybe in some sense the key to fighting anxiety, realizing that what you need today is not strength for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Instead, live in the mercy God gives you today and believe new mercy is coming tomorrow and that mercy will be sufficient for whatever tomorrow holds. Like how can you not be anxious about tomorrow Here's how, by believing that new and sufficient mercy from God is coming your way every single day for all that day holds. Which is why, so now go back to this S, we seek God in prayer about everything. Like God, I don't know how to make it through this fall or this week because of this or that concern I have, but right now I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna lift all this to you in prayer. I'm gonna stop and pray for you to specifically help me, this person, in this way, that way, asking for your help specifically in my life, in my kids, in my family, for my friends, 
for this need or that need in this situation, that situation. I'm gonna pray that, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna trust that as I pray, your mercy is gonna be made known in all these different ways. When you begin to experience anxious thoughts or worry, immediately stop and seek God in prayer about everything that's on your mind. I just start there. That's S, then T. Then trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. So this is so important in both Matthew chapter six and in Philippians chapter four, to trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. We saw it in Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So why with thanksgiving? The answer is because worry or anxiety. So how do we keep perspective on life and live with trust in God? And Philippians chapter four, verse six is saying express thanksgiving to God, which is the same thing Jesus said back in Matthew chapter six when Jesus said, look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer is yes. You are more valuable than the birds of the air. So as you begin to worry or be anxious, like stop, seek God in prayer about everything that's on your mind and trust that God loves you. And God will help you. Trust that God will give you everything you need. So stop and thank God for all of the ways he loves you, he cares for you, he promises to help you as you lift up your needs to God going into this week, going into this fall. Thank God in advance for the mercy that he's promised to give you. Like instead of worrying about this fall, thank God that he is going to lead you through this fall. Instead of worrying about the future, thank God that he holds the future in his hands. Instead of worrying about what we don't know, thank God for the promises that we do know. Instead of worrying about what you don't have, Thank God for all the grace you do have. Trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. Like God, I thank you. We thank you right now that COVID is not in control. Are you thankful for that? God, we thank you that our security is not dependent on our economy. Our security is dependent on our king. God, we thank you that you hold our lives and our children, our loved ones in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you, you hold our breath in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you for your promises to be with us, to lead us, to sustain us, to satisfy us, to guide us, to provide for us every day. And as we express prayers of thanksgiving like this, do you know what begins to replace worry in our hearts? Faith, trust, the realization that we don't have to worry because we have a good God, a great God who promises 
to give us every single thing we need for every single moment we face. I stop, seek God in prayer about everything and trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. Then, oh, open your mind to that which comes from God. Open your mind to that which comes from God. So I'll come back to this in a minute if you're still writing it down. True, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. So the way I'm summarizing true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy is by saying that which comes from God. So to stop in your thinking and just ask, is this thought that I'm having, does it come from God? Does this thought that I'm having originate in him? Is this thought honoring to him? Is this thought worthy of praise before him? And if not, then remove it from our minds, like close our minds to that kind of thinking and open our minds to that which comes from God. I wanna show you this connection here now in verses eight and nine as we add verse nine this week. So the Bible's telling us how to have perpetual joy and gentleness in any circumstance and surpassing peace. Said in verse eight, it all happens. You wanna have joy, gentleness, and peace? Then you think about these things. So you think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And then, so you've got this phrase, think about these things in verse eight. Then you get to verse nine, and it says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So there's thinking in verse eight, and there's practicing in verse nine. Transformed thoughts that lead to a transformed life. And it starts with opening our minds to that which comes from God, closing our minds to that which does not come from God. So I want you to picture this like four concentric circles in our lives. I'm gonna draw it out here, then I wanna show you this uh, two places in the Bible. So at the core of our lives, let's look at it this way, is a decision about who or what we are going to worship. So I'm gonna write, worship here in the very heart. So either we worship God or ourselves or other things that we put in the place of God. And who or what we worship then affects how we think. So we'll put in the next circle here our thoughts. So if God is on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will be driven by God which is praiseworthy before him. If we are on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will be driven by ourselves, what seems good to us. If some other God, say money, is on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will revolve around money. If our reputation is what's most important to us, then our thoughts will revolve around what helps boost our reputation. We could go on and on with examples, but who or what we worship determines how we think then how we think affects what we desire. So we'll put in this next circle, our desires. So if we think God is good, then we will desire more of God and what he says is good. 
If we think our ways or the ways of this world are good, then we will desire the ways of this world or our ways. Again, go back. If, we, if we're consumed with thinking about money, then we'll desire more money. Consumed with thinking about what others think about us, then we'll be, we'll be focused on what, what is going to help others think certain way about us. Then those desires affect our actions. So in this way, and this is what we saw, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, how you think determines the way you live. Now we're seeing it even clearer with this connection in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. What you think determines how you act, how you live. Now, let's kind of test this picture biblically and see, okay, is this really what the Bible teaches? I mean, let's go to two places. The first is Romans chapter 1. So we'll start in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. I'll put it up here uh, where the Bible is teaching us about sin in our lives. And I want you to notice where sin starts. So talking about sinful men and women, the Bible says, follow this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So did you hear that? Like where does sin start? It starts in a heart that does not honor God or give thanks to him and a heart that exchanges the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and other things. So that's worldly worship. So that's worship where we've replaced God on the throne of our hearts with someone, something else, which leads to worldly thoughts, okay? They became futile in their, what? Thinking, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So worldly worship leads to worldly thoughts. Let's see where it goes from this, Romans 1, 24. Says, therefore, so in light of worship, that is centered around the world that leads to worldly thoughts. Therefore, in light of this, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed, who is blessed forever, amen. So did you see that? Worldly worship led to worldly thoughts which led to worldly desires. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, which then led to what? To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, worldly actions. So then, and then it comes back to the core. Why do they have these worldly desires and act in this worldly way? Because they exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's worldly thoughts and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's worldly worship. So don't miss it. Sin with our bodies, like worldly actions, 
These actions have a root in worldly desires and worldly thoughts and worldly worship. So sin starts, don't miss it, when we open up our minds to things which do not come from God at the center of our lives. Let me say that again. Sin starts when we open up our minds to things which do not come from God at the center of our lives. Let me show you one other example of this. Genesis chapter three. Let's see if these concentric circles play out here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what's the action here? She and her husband took of the fruit and ate. Oh, it's not showing there. Okay, that says action. Action. So that's what they did. They took of the fruit and ate. But don't miss the root. That worldly action was based in worldly, what? Desire. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Worldly desires that were grounded in worldly thinking, a lie from the devil that said God and his word are not good, and they believed it. So what did they do? In their worship, they took God off the throne of their hearts. They put themselves in the position of thinking that their thoughts were better than God's thoughts, which led to desires to do that which was against God's word, which ultimately led to action, eating a piece of fruit. So the whole point, again, in showing this is to see the root of sin. Like it wasn't when they ate a piece of fruit. It was when God was not on the throne of their hearts and affected the way they started thinking about him and his word and their lives that led to desires that led to action. So what we allow into our minds, what we open up our minds to, what we think about affects, determines how we act, how we live. So consider the massive implications of this in so many different ways. Like when you struggle with sin, come back to these circles, whatever sin might be out here in your life, when you struggle with sin, don't just look at the action you are taking, the thing you are doing, the words you are speaking, whatever it might be. Look at the root. Look at the root. Like Romans chapter one, sexual immorality with our bodies starts with not living for the worship of God. And thinking that in doing this, looking at that, whatever it might be, that we'll be satisfied. So that's what we start to desire and so we act. So how do you stop that action? By being transformed by the renewing of your heart and mind at the core of who you are. Think about all your efforts to combat sinful actions in your life in this way until you address what is going on in your heart and mind, 
then you will only be putting a Band-Aid on a broken limb because you will be ignoring the root of any sin, not just sexual immorality. And then think about the implication, not just in our lives, but for helping others avoid sin. I think about parenting. When my child does something wrong, if all I say is, don't do that, then I'm not helping them near as much as I would be helping them if I sit down and say, why did you do that? And help them to see the root of their action in desires and thoughts and ultimately a heart that's turning aside from God in that moment. And this is not just for parenting. As the church, as we help each other grow in Christ, as we help each other turn from sin, let's help each other identify the heart, the thoughts, the desires at the root of the things we struggle with. Now, bring all this back around to stopping anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry happen when we forget that God is on the throne of our hearts and our lives and the world around us. And we begin to think thoughts that are not true or honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or praiseworthy, which spirals downward into unhelpful emotions of despair and distress and discouragement, which lead to unhelpful actions in all kinds of ways, from being short or harsh with the people around us to missing out in so many ways on the abundant life and the great things God has for us. And the key to fighting this battle is stopping, like pausing and opening our minds to that which comes from God. That's why O is critical in this whole picture. So stop, seek God in prayer about everything, trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. Oh, open your mind to that which is from God. This is where the battle is raging. And then P, practice the word of God. Practice the word of God. That's the exact language we have in Philippians chapter four, verse nine. Remember, think about these things in verse eight, verse nine, practice these things. Practice these things. And it makes sense in light of what he just said before this in verse nine, whatever you've learned, received, heard, and seen. So what we learn, what was supposed to happen when we learn? We do what we learn. We apply what we receive. We obey what we hear. We follow what we see. I can I just point out the obvious? Like if you hear this message, this word from God in Philippians chapter four, and then you don't do it, you don't stop and do these things, then this message, this word from God will not do you any good. It's exactly what God says in James chapter one, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer 
who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Like if you hear these words of encouragement for fighting anxiety and you think, well, that was helpful, then you don't actually stop and do these things when you begin to think anxious or worrisome thoughts, then you are deceiving yourself and you will miss the blessing of God. And not just you, but others. There's a powerful word here back in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, for and we can spend a ton of time here, we won't, but this is so important because Paul's not just saying what you've learned and received and heard and seen in Jesus or in God's word, practice these things. Paul just said what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And whatever you see me doing, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. And he just so I actually said a few verses before this in the end of Philippians chapter three, something very similar. He said, brothers, join in imitating me. That's a bold statement to say to somebody else, just imitate me. Paul's saying to these Christians, just do what I do, which might sound arrogant until we put this together with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, when he said, be imitators of me as I am of who? Of Christ. So what Paul is saying is, I want so badly for you to follow Christ that I will do everything I can to show you what that looks like in action, such that if you live like me, then you'll be living like Jesus. And it's not just Paul. Back in Philippians three seventeen, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, focus your eyes on people who are living like Jesus and become more and more like them and the process become more and more like him. So I've got to at least just pause at this point and ask every single follower of Jesus a question based on Philippians 4.9. Is your life worthy of imitation by those around you? If other people follow your life, will they be following Jesus? Students, teenagers, children, like is this a way you would describe your life? This is what Paul said to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Single brothers and sisters, is your life worthy of imitation? Just abandon to God and his purposes. Husbands, wives, is your life worthy of imitation such that if a husband or a wife were living like you are, they would be following Jesus in a way that totally honored their spouse? My parents, is your life worthy of imitation by your kids? such that if your kids walk with Jesus like you walk with Jesus, they will be experiencing deep, true intimacy with Jesus. I was reading this week about John Patton. He's one of my favorite people in history. He was one of my favorite biographies. John Patton took the gospel to a never before reached cannibalistic people on this remote island. And today, that island is 94% Christian. And his story, it's amazing. I highly recommend his biography. There's all kinds of things I could say about him. 
But this week, on two different occasions, I found myself reading about the influence of John Patton's dad on his life. So James Patton. And John Patton talked about how his dad had a room in the house that his family knew whenever their dad went into that room. And he was meeting with God. They could hear him praying from outside the room. They would occasionally walk in, just see him on his knees before God. He talked about how his dad would gather his kids around the family room. They would kneel to pray together. And his dad would just pour out his soul and please to God, provision of their needs and tears for people to come to know Christ. He talked about how the family would walk together four miles to church every Sunday. And in 40 years, John Patton could remember three times that his dad missed church. Once because of snow, once because of ice, and once because of a cholera outbreak. And you might think that walk would lead to a lot of complaining among the kids. But Patton and his 10 siblings said their dad made going to church a joy because they saw such joy in him. He talked about how his dad would read the Bible to them would teach them what it means around their dinner table and show them what it looks like in practice. Let's each ask the question, like if our family or friends or neighbors or coworkers or group members live just like us, will they be following Jesus with all of their hearts? Let's take responsibility for showing others what the life of Christ looks like in action. This is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus in such a way that we're leading others to Jesus. All this is P, practice the word of God. And when we do these things, when we stop and seek God in prayer about everything, trust God through prayers of thanksgiving, open your mind to that which comes from God and practice the word that you have learned and received and heard and seen. When you do these things, this is straight from the mouth of God, here are the two promises. One, you will experience the peace of God. You will experience this peace. Verse seven, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will, this is a promise, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will experience the peace of God when you pray about everything with thanksgiving and you think about these things and you practice these things. This is a promise you will experience otherworldly, all-surpassing peace from God. And, and you will know the God of peace. Philippians 4.9, the God of peace will be with you. This is so awesome. You will not just receive a gift from God, peace. You will receive the gift of God himself. God himself will be with you as your peace. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus makes possible. We have all sinned against God. We're separated from God, from his peace, from his joy, from his life. If we die in the state of separation from God, we will experience eternity separated from his peace and joy and life. But God loves us. God has sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we put our faith, our trust in him. We're reconciled to relationship with God, to know him and to walk with him and to experience his peace and joy and life. 
you and I, through faith in Jesus, have been reconciled to God himself. The God who says, so I'll close here, just summarize what we've seen in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. In a world where we are prone to anxiety and worry, you and I, when we trust in God in all the ways we've seen, we stop and we do these things, we will know the God who says, I guard your heart and I guard your mind. Like I care for you. I will take care of you. I will protect you. Trust me. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you're worth more than the birds of the air, the lilies in the field. You can trust me to care for you and not only to care for you, but to carry you. I will be with you. God's not just saying you have my peace. God says you have me with you. As you look forward to a fall and a future of unknowns, the God of peace says, I care for you, I will carry you. And ultimately, here in Philippians 4, the God of peace, remember what it said all the way back in verse 5, beginning of this passage, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the God of peace says, I am coming for you. And there's coming a day when this world with all of its worries will one day pass away. There's coming a day when there will be no more worries and no more anxiety and no more pandemic and no more pain and no more unknowns and no more sorrow and no more sin and no more death for our God is coming for us. One day the temptation to worry or be anxious will be no more for we will dwell forever with God in everlasting worship and eternal security. And that is good news. So let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me? I want to ask every single person right where you are right now, head bowed, eyes closed, just between you and God, I just I want to ask you, do you know the God of peace? Like, have you been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus? Do you know that if you were to die today, like you know you would experience his eternal peace with him in heaven because you trusted in Jesus? And if the answer to that question I know many listening right now. The answer to that question is like, maybe or no, I don't know God in this way. Today you can. I invite you, just where you're sitting right now, just to pray in your heart and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your peace and your joy and your life. Just confess to God the sin that separates you from him. Just say to God, God, I know I've sinned against you. My thoughts, my desires, my actions, I've put other things, namely myself, on the throne of my heart. But today, I'm believing that Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. And today, I want to trust you on the throne of my heart. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you call out for the forgiveness of your sins, God says exactly what we sang earlier. My salvation is yours. I will save you from your sin, draw you to myself so you might know me forever. God, I pray for people trust in Jesus today in this way. And God, I pray for all kinds of men and women, students, children who, have trusted in you. God, I pray that you'd help us this week, this month, and the months to come amidst all the unknowns. Help us to stop. Help us to seek 
you in prayer about everything, to trust you through prayers of thanksgiving, to open our minds to that which comes from you and to put into practice your word. And we trust that we will experience your peace that passes all understanding and we will know you, experience your presence with us. All glory be to your name for otherworldly peace, for reconciliation to you that will last forever, that gives us a rock, a cornerstone to cling to in the middle of a very uncertain world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
This is for those of you that would like to raise your children instilling God's values and His words into their life. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries can send you CDs of our children's program. If any of you are interested in the program, please contact the office or email us to receive the CD. I hope that this program can spread out through our English-speaking children. Our office number is 602-866-8999 and the email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Following is the program, Transforming Grace. Hello listeners, this is Sean Kang. Welcome to the new series, Transforming Grace. This new program is written by Leslie Martin, who is the wife of Pastor Mark Martin at Calvary Phoenix Church. Pastor Mark and Leslie have been served the Calvary Phoenix Church over 38 years now. Leslie Martin is in charge of a women's ministry at Calvary Phoenix. This new series, Transforming Grace, will be hosted by Leslie Martin herself. But before we start, I wanted to invite her to our studio and introduce her to our listeners. So here she is, Leslie Martin. Hello, Leslie. Hi, Sean, and hello, everyone. It's such a blessing to be here with Heart and Soul Ministries. It is a blessing to have you here. And finally, you're going to teach us some through this program, right? Transforming Grace. Yes. You know, Grace has been probably the most important thing in my life. Mm. Some of you may remember mm -hmm. the interview with my husband, Pastor right. Mark Martin, mm -hmm. and uh, Grace has just been the thing that changed the whole trajectory of our life mm -hmm. and, and uh, was the thing that brought us into an understanding of mm -hmm. how much God really loves us. Mm -hmm. I grew up in going to church every week. Some would say it's a cult, and I would probably agree with them, mm -hmm. but apart from that, it was a church that emphasized obedience to God, and you didn't have much assurance mm. of knowing if you were right with God because you had to keep a whole lot of rules and laws, mm -hmm. which they found throughout Scripture. Mm. And I just, I grew up in that kind of atmosphere. I was a good little church girl, mm -hmm. but every time there would be an invitation to accept Jesus, I would go forward because I had no assurance. I knew that I wasn't good enough, and I thought I had to be good enough myself wow. for God to love me. Yeah. So in college, when I met the man who mm -hmm. would become my husband, <laughs> he knew that very first time he met me, he said, oh, I'm going to marry her. He, he thought that. I didn't know that. Mm. Um, it took a little while to convince me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he started uh, teaching a Bible study, mm -hmm. a student-led Bible study, okay. on through the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time mm -hmm. that I started to understand that God's love for me was not based on me being good right. and making him happy. Mm -hmm. But his love for me was just because he loved me. Mm -hmm. And he would accept me completely and absolutely, even though I wasn't a perfect person, mm -hmm. as no one is. And it was all because of Jesus and what Jesus had done for me and because of his grace. Mm -hmm. 
God's kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, undeserved, unearned, unmerited, just lavished on us because of his love. And uh, it took a few months Mm -hmm. for that to really sink in, you know, because my whole life had been do this, you know, the law commands, Mm -hmm. but gives me neither feet nor hands. (laughs) A better way is grace provides. Mm -hmm. It gives me wings and Mm -hmm. bids me fly. And uh, God just spoke to me. Mm -hmm. It was actually one morning as I was uh, reading in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 11 through 13. Mm -hmm. And my big prayer and heart cry to God for several years had been, Lord, I want to know Mm -hmm. that I'm right with you. Mm -hmm. I want to know Mm -hmm. that if you came this moment, Mm -hmm. I would go to be with you in heaven. Or if I died, I would be with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my whole life growing up, I didn't have that kind of assurance. I just wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading 1 John 5, 11 through 13, Mm -hmm. and it was like the lights came on. Wow. And it says, Mm -hmm. you know, these things I've written to you Mm -hmm. who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know Mm -hmm. that you have eternal Eternal life. life. And my whole life changed from that moment. Wow. Completely. Mm. What you have learned until that moment, you should not be sure. Right. Unless you die. Right. Right? Yeah, I didn't know. So so that's like a 50-50 chance. Yeah, you just hoped that you did more than bad in your life and that the good would outweigh the bad. And they even, in the church I grew up in, said that it was a sin to say, I am saved. It was the sin of presumption, which that's nowhere in the Bible. They might think John might be a sinner. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But that changed my life. Yes. Just to realize that God says, Mm -hmm. I could know. Mm -hmm. And it had nothing to do with me, Mm -hmm. my performance, Mm -hmm. my failures, my good works. Mm -hmm. It was all Jesus and what he did for me, God's grace. And so, you know, we graduated from college. Mm -hmm. We got married. We Mm -hmm. came to Arizona. We and my husband was a pastor Mm -hmm. in that denomination that we had grown up in. Mm -hmm. We were excited about the gospel, about Mm -hmm. grace. And we shared that, but it became apparent after a couple of years that mm. grace and the, that particular church's doctrine mm. did not work well together. Right. So we left mm. and started Calvary Phoenix, Phoenix yes. where we now, you know, my husband pastors, right. and God has done amazing, amazing things. Mm. But one of the things that I realized as I was involved in people's lives Mm -hmm. and as a pastor's wife and also as leading women's ministries Mm -hmm. and, you know, Bible teaching and Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing, counseling, I realized that lots of Christians didn't really understand grace. Mm. And like me, we're a little confused thinking, well, it's Jesus plus me and what I do. (laughs) Um, Sort of like, God made the down payment with the cross, but I have to make the monthly payments for the house. <laughs> and, and I realized that wasn't just a misunderstanding mm-hmm. I had because of my very strict legalistic type background. But a lot of people who just go to evangelical churches mm-hmm. have that little bit of confusion. And, you know, they may not think that they do. Mm-hmm. But you see that, you know, they'll come to you when they've messed up. And they're feeling like maybe God is frowning at them and they Mm. should be in the corner with time out or Mm -hmm. something. And to really understand that God loves me Mm -hmm. all the time, 
no conditions, no matter what I do, even as a Christian, even if I know better and I do something, God still loves me. And I'm not, it's not a yo-yo salvation. Now I'm saved. Now I'm lost. Now I'm saved. Now I'm lost. (laughs) We're on that solid ground of the cross and... His love for us never changes. Mm. His grace never changes. So that motivated me to write this simple little book on grace. When did you write the book? Actually, it's been about eight or ten years that I've since I wrote the book, and and a lot of people Mm. have gotten it and Mm -hmm. expressed their appreciation for really getting a a clearer Mm -hmm. understanding Mm -hmm. of God's love and grace. So, you know, I feel very privileged and very Mm -hmm. blessed. It's not a great book. It's a simple book, but it's just, I just, it's been my prayer that people Mm -hmm. would clearly understand that God loves them all the time. Right. It's a simple book, but it's a very blessing book. I mean, people who read this, they will understand what grace is. So they can have assurance in God, in Christ, but also their faith will be grow in Christ. Amen. 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 So we are so excited about this. You teach this book to our listener, Heart and Soul listeners. So we are so glad you doing this for us. Thank you so much. I feel so blessed to have that privilege, and your ministry has just meant so much to thousands of people, and we as a church have been blessed to be a part of just watching your ministry grow and being a part of supporting that, and so proud in Jesus of all of you. Well, without you you guys helping, I mean, we couldn't do it either. So we, so thanks to God, we have a, such a good neighbor <laughs> <laughs> right next to the door. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we feel it's a huge privilege mm. and God's grace can just shine from this corner of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> out to other people. Yeah. What do you expect our listener to learn through this program? Well, the main thing is to just have clarification Mm -hmm. and maybe a deeper understanding and appreciation Mm -hmm. for God's grace, because it's the grace of God, Mm -hmm. as Paul wrote to Titus, it's the grace of God Mm -hmm. that teaches us, Mm -hmm. and the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live a righteous life. Mm -hmm. It's not a list of rules. It's not requirements. It's Mm -hmm. not my effort in trying to Mm -hmm. be a good Christian. It's God's grace that is that inner motivation that transforms our life. Mm -hmm. The grace is really the word of the gospel, the word of the cross. Mm -hmm. And the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, the word of the cross is the power of mm-hmm. God yes, unto salvation. Mm-hmm. There's no power apart from God's grace. All right. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. for a lot of Christians who are trying really hard, but they don't quite understand yeah. that it's not our efforts, it's mm-hmm. not our trying, mm-hmm. it's all of grace. All right. But it doesn't mean, I mean, you should not do anything, right? Exactly. Right. Grace, as Paul wrote to Titus, mm-hmm. it teaches us mm-hmm. to live righteous lives. Right. It is that inner motivation. It is God's power. Mm -hmm. It transforms us from the inside out. But if you preach grace and teach grace very clearly, Mm -hmm. that will be the thing people say to you, well, Mm -hmm. great, it can't possibly be enough. You have to do something. (laughs) Well, this is the work of God that you believe, Jesus said in his son. So God has given us, as the Apostle John wrote, 
two commandments. Mm-hmm. These are his commandments, that we love God mm-hmm. and we love one another. Yes. And we can't do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's God's grace Amen. in us, changing Amen. us. Amen. Yeah. I believe uh, your program will totally change our motivation to follow Christ. Uh, it's about time to wrap it up. So yes. thank you so much. Thank uh, you, Sean. Would you pray for our listener for absolutely blessed by this program? Thank you so much for that. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your great love. Behold what manner of love you have shown to us in sending your Son, in giving his life as a sacrifice for all the wrong things that we have done. Lord, we thank you that it is enough, that Jesus cried out, it is finished, paid in full, and there is nothing we can do to add to all the goodness you have done for us. And we thank you that we are accepted in the Beloved, in Jesus Christ. And we just ask that for any person who will listen to this, that whether they be a Christian or they're not a Christian, that they would come to understand your grace and your love and be set free from lives of feeling condemned and far away and cast out and unqualified to be your child. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be qualified. You have qualified us and accepted us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that as people listen, they would come to understand and know that in a deeper and more profound way, and that they would give their lives to you and rely completely on everything that you have done for us through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. I would encourage our listener, if you would like to study more Bible with Leslie Martin, just visit www.calvaryphx.com. Search for Woman's Bible Study. You will learn a lot, a lot more Bible with her. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Sean. Okay, God bless. God bless you, okay, too. Okay, bye-bye.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.